Finding the right cleat can be transformative. Believe me, I've worn plenty during my career. So getting the right balance is crucial. The cleat needs to feel good on your foot, but also feel good connecting with the ball. The New Balance Furon 7 Plus is built with both of those points in mind, offering overall comfort and precise striking in the game's fastest moments. Because, as I learned the hard way, because I didn't possess much of it, speed matters in soccer. That's why the Furon 7 Plus is built for accuracy and precision at rapid pace and is engineered specifically for use on firm ground. Why is this the ideal cleat, I hear you ask? Well, not to get too scientific, but the Furon 7 Plus offers a lightweight yet supportive hypo-knit with mesh lining upper construction and is paired with offset lacing for a truer strike of the ball, which is a long way of me saying that your game will immediately get better when these are on your feet. Learn more and purchase the Furon at NewBalance.com. Hey, it's Lisa Carlin from Attacking Third to tell you about the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe. It's equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend. The Hyundai Santa Fe features available all-wheel drive, standard third-row seating, plus available dual wireless charging pads, ensuring that you can take on any adventure. It's ski season, and with the all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe, I can easily load the car with all my gear plus my friends in the third row and make it right to the base of the slopes with all-wheel drive. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com. Call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Welcome into Attacking Third. It is officially 2024, and we are back here for you guys. Attacking Third crew, Lisa Carlin, Sandra Herrera, Darian Jenkins, and I'm Jenny Chu to bring you guys all the women's soccer news around the world. We're going to get started with the bad news. The biggest news coming out of women's football right now is the heartbreaking news of another ACL injury within our sport. This time, it is Australian superstar Samantha Kerr. She will likely miss the Paris Olympics if they qualify, and she will be missing the final season with Emma Hayes for the Blues. And there's plenty to talk about here. Sandra, do you want to get us started with this news about Samantha Kerr? Oh, got it. Man, I'm, I'm, I w- it's been, what, about 24 hours, I think, since we saw the, the news come out, the big headline. And even though there's been a little bit of time to think about it, reflect on what it means, I'm still just stuck with like, this sucks. Like, I wish that I had something like more analytical or deeper articulate to say, but just on the surface level, like this is beyond a bit of of a bummer. Uh, Look, Sam Kerr is magnificent. We know the type of player that she is. I feel really honored to have been able to cover her stint in Chicago with the Red Stars. So having seen her play live and in person on the pitch, knowing what she brings to the field, that that type of player that kind of has everybody else elevate their their own play uh, around her. You just sort of look, operate, function, and play with a little bit more confidence, a little bit more swagger, a little bit more, a little bit more extra fire when you've literally got a Sam Kerr in your arsenal moving forward. So I can't imagine, um, you know, what that's going to mean for other programs because that's the the type of player, caliber of player that this is, that an injury like that, number one, affects the player in person, unfortunately, but it also has this sort of kind of trickle-down effect where that's going to obviously affect things for club and affect things internationally for for the Matildas. 
Exactly. It's so, I mean, so gutted, of course, for Sam Kerr for this injury and the fact that she now has to go through this recovery. And when Sandra, you look at like the grand scope of things for Australia, they just are coming off of a historic world cup where they hosted and made history. And then we're less than six months from the Olympics. Incredibly unlikely that Sam Kerr will be able to play like that. It's near impossible looking at that timeline. And then you also look at Chelsea and this is a club that is under their last season with Emma Hayes because she is headed to the United States to coach the women's national team here in America. And the one thing that's eluded Chelsea this whole time under Emma Hayes is the champions league. And now they're without their superstar, their, their leader, their force, everything, their general Sam Kerr. It's devastating. It is a trickle down effect. I think the entire football world was, shocked and sad immediately to learn of this even her biggest competitors were sad right that she is no longer able to compete at this point in time because of this injury yeah for me it's it's heartbreaking you you've both said it so well there's not much more I can expand on but it's one of those situations where she seems like such a player that's larger than life that you don't see something like this happening to them like it it's shocking to read that news and see that she has an ACL injury. Um, I hope she has a speedy recovery, but this just is another player where we is showing we need so much more research in the women's game. We need so much more research. So I'm hoping that these big names, as sad as it is that they've gone down with ACL injuries, that this just puts more and more pressure and more focus and research to go into the women's game to prevent this from happening because it shouldn't be happening as often as it is. Darian, that's a wonderful point. I think that, you know, we've seen a lot of people speculate recently or, or with the increase of ACL tears within women's soccer. We saw a ton on Arsenal. We saw a ton around the women's game, um, period. But people are saying um, the shape of the shoe is, is made for men, the shape of the pelvis, the knee being different, the hormones. We have had these conversations for many years, right? And I know that I'm, as a previous player, I'm still part of studies about concussions and ACLs. Darian, I'm sure you get those emails as well. Like, you know, have you torn your ACL in the last few years? Do Have you had four concussions? Do you remember anything? All of these things means that there is research being done, but just not at the level that we need it to because of the increase that we have seen lately. Sandra, I see you nodding your, hair there, your head there. Um, what do you have to add about that? No, it's just I think that's an important note that you're making, like as some of you here as former athletes and kind of notating the fact that there has been an attempt to do more constant research and trying to maybe turn that research into developing solutions. I think that's the the worrisome part for for folks here when they take a look at a headline like that. It's like, oh, another one, another, you know, superstar type of player having to suffer this type of devastating injury. You know, what are we going to do about it? And the fact is that there there are some processes in place. There there is research that's out there to to take a look at. But I think the solutions aspect of it is one that 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 folks are looking to grasp onto and, and, and maybe kind of spin that forward. And, and that's, I think, part of this equation too, like what's lo- looking ahead for either Chelsea or either the Matildas. I, I don't, you know, I think this is soccer, right? The coaches and the players are going to look at each other and say, all right, well, next person up, here's what we have to do. I'm sure if you look at Chelsea, they're going to say that they have right. a lot there to to rely upon in terms of the depth of their squad. Look, is 2024 going to be the year of, of me official? Much earlier than, than folks possibly anticipated. 
her whole role coming in. We heard official in interviews talking about her arrival to Chelsea and what her role was and understanding what that was because Emma Hayes clarified that to her, that they needed to have someone to help kind of minute manage and sort of help supplement uh, a load of Sam Kerr. But now there's not going to be a Sam Kerr. So what's that going to look like between official or Lauren James, et cetera. So you look at the depth there. And then even for the Matildas as well, they might tell themselves, hey, we had to go through a bit of this during the World Cup uh, with, without her in the knockouts. So I think it, what, in terms as far as what comes next, I think we're probably going to get those answers much sooner than we anticipate. Right. Absolutely. This is this is sad news, and I think that you're kind of spinning it forward there, um, Sandra, with the acknowledgement that these players um, will have to step up for Sam Kerr and the loss of Sam Kerr to an injury. Um, but I think that right now, the biggest thing that my focus is, is that we've seen these big players have these ACL tears, right? Like we've seen a lot of players, but the fact that they're bigger players in these countries maybe opens the door a little bit more, right? Like it was open, like I mentioned, we do have this research, but it's kind of pushing it open to say, hey, these are our best players. Is it a fact of load management, right? This was done in a preseason in, I guess, heat training is what we understand in Morocco. Um, or did I get that right, Morocco? Mm-hmm. Yep. Um, what that has to do with it, right? Mm-hmm. Because when we talk mm-hmm. about load management, we're talking about, you know, preparing your body as well. If we're preparing our body for this, then during the, you know, not season, you're pushing yourself so that you can handle this load. And that's when an injury like this happens. Um, We had a training at UNC where three players tore their ACL in the same training. And it 100% had to do with the load that we were carrying on that day. Right. Um, So it is also like pushing yourself and knowing your limits, but also needing to push further so that you can handle the load of the games. They're playing nearly 40 games a season and they used to play about 20. Um, So I don't know how Lisa, what, what do you think we have to do about that? Because in training this happens or in, you know, in preparation, but you kind of have to push yourself in those moments so that when it does happen in a game, you're able to do so, you know, like, it's like this, what came first, the chicken or the egg, or what are you supposed Mm -hmm. to do in this situation? Yeah, well, it it really comes down to the research. And I think, yes, there is elements of medical research that's being done on um, how female bodies are made up. And as you mentioned, Jenny, like the pelvic tilt, how their knees are, how their hips get wider, anything like that. But there's also an element of um, PT training and resources that these clubs don't always have. And so because of that, maybe they're wearing cleats that are two years old. And so they don't have as much support or they're playing on training surfaces that aren't as good, especially, especially compared to their male counterparts. And that's where a lot of the big discrepancy does come in is how many physios to to players are there on the men's side and then compare that to the women's side. And, and those numbers are drastic where it's a few physios to one or two players. And then it's one or two physios for an entire team on the women's side. So those are the resources that need to be allocated better towards the women's programs that ultimately will help in the long run with the prevention of ACL tears and injuries going forward. It's a trickle down effect, whereas you have to provide in all areas. You can't just say, okay, we're going to get rid of all turf field. No, you have to look at every single aspect of it and allocate money in all of these different areas, whether it's medical research or actual staff members or better facilities or better um, recovery programs or more personalized recovery programs based on that load management. Because one player could handle load management a lot more than another player. And then understanding that individualized and having those personal um, relationships to to be able to do that. It all comes down to resources and being able to invest in these programs and in these players. 
Such great points, Lisa. Thank you. And I honestly, I could talk about this so much because, you know, Darian, you as well as a player, like there was different things like, like don't take birth control because birth control will increase your percentage of tearing your ACL. Don't get your period because that like, like the amount of rumors that we heard about, like trying not to tear your ACL, but actually not knowing what the correct research is, is kind of what's spinning around right now. Jenny, that's what you said. Rumors. They're all, they're rumors, right? Like there's, there needs to be an element of it. Yeah. That's what I'm saying is like right now, all of these things are being thrown in the air about the cleat and the hip size and the pelvic and whatever, but we're not actually sure what is 100% attributing to it or for it's everything all at once. And this is obviously something that I care about because I've seen so many great players and just players in general and their career um, with these ACL tears and dairy. And I know um, you suffered an injury as well that changed the trajectory of your career. And so just these things matter, um, but we do have a ton of news to get to. So I'll stop harping on this one. Um, but thank you, Lisa. Like you said, it's the research that matters and the fact that it trickles down. Um, everyone, great points there. Sorry, I'm very passionate about this one specifically. But um, to get to the rest of the news here, Bob and Rita Marley Foundation announced the discontinuation of financial support to the Jamaican women's national team. And along with that, Sadella Marley resigns as global ambassador for the JFF and the Reggae Girls. Um, we're going to touch that a little bit more later. I know I heard Darian speak about that on Morning Footy. We're going to continue the conversation there. There are new NWSL rules. Sandra will give us all of that explainer in a little bit. The Portland Thorns have been sold to the RAJ Sports in the Batal family for $63 million, setting themselves up apart from the Portland Timbers. Fran Alonso became the new head coach of the Houston Dash. The Houston Dash, San Diego Wave, and Angel FC will play at the Coachella Valley Invitational. Um, That's exciting news. New tournament uh, for the women's side, something that we saw in MLS start. Um, So there's so many points there we're going to get to. Why don't we go ahead and start with you, Darian? Yeah. Um, Like you said, I spoke on Morning Footy about uh, just some sad news that Sadella Marley has resigned as the global ambassador for the JFF. Um, To reiterate what I was saying, it's such a shame that it's gotten to this point. These players deserve a lot better. The uh, the groundbreaking history that they've made this last year of making it to the knockout stages of the World Cup with the little funding that they've had that has been done by Sadella Marley and the Marley Foundation, which is near $3 million. And they knocked out some big dogs going into this tournament with teams that have had a multitude of camps huge trainings, um, played at high competitive levels, had their own rooms at camp. Like there, there are things that these players experience because of the lack of funding that other teams get that is so, so vast that it just is a testament to how talented these players are, that they fought through all of that and still showed and swagged out of the World Cup, made it to the knockout stages, yet the foundation is still not investing is still not even responding to Sadella Marley, trying to repair this relationship between the players and the JFF. So I said on a morning footy, I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. Um, you see these massive players who are, my opinion, Khadijah Shah is one of the best players in the world who are refusing to go to camp because why would she go to camp to somewhere where she's not respected and not treated like a professional athlete in the way that she and all of the other players deserve? which I'm glad she's setting that precedent that, no, we deserve better. Why would I show up there? Um, but I think it's going to get worse before it gets better. But hopefully with you know us talking about it and um, just putting a spotlight on this, I hope it applies more pressure to the JFF and hopefully they turn things around. But I think, I think more needs to happen. 
it's just tough. Uh, you know, it's, I think following this up, like right after the Sam Kerr news, it's like more of it. It's like, here's some more unfortunate news that we have to talk about in, in women's soccer. It's like, I pray for the day where we don't have to start off a show like this, but here we are 2024 bringing it in. And it's devastating. I know for, for myself and I can't, you know, speak for Lisa, but, you know, having we had interviews with Silla Marley before on on attacking third. And and when you hear her speak about, you know, the the reggae girls, the passion that, that comes through, it's it's infectious. It's contagious. You are just like, yes, like, let's go. And to know that everyone is human. You know, we're all just human in the end and people have their limits. It's exhausting. You know, I can't imagine how exhausting these last two World Cups have been for for the, the foundation and having to constantly find themselves in a position to, to go out and raise funds um, and maybe still somehow being hopeful that this is the thing that can try to actually move the needle, like try to have that final, you know, bit, bit of say. Um, it's, it's, it's really, really frustrating. It, and I feel for the players. I really do. I think there's something, um, to be said about having to be the firsts in, in something and sort of being the pioneers. It's a difficult, it's a very difficult position to be in. You find yourself making history and, and reaching milestones and marks like that. But at the same time, you're starting and leading that fight. And that means that fight will eventually end. And maybe you are not the one that is reaping the benefits of those things. So it's very tough to look at this program, to look at some of these players and see all of these incredible things that they've accomplished and not get the things that they deserve, whether it's back pay, resources, funding, et cetera. You know, so I, I, I'm hopeful. I will always try to be hopeful, but this is this is a tough blow to, to sort of to, to lose this this type of um, funding. I won't say support because she's, you know, the foundation is yeah. still going to continue supporting the reggae girls. I think that's the, the biggest thing people need to try to remember. They still will function mm -hmm. as, a, as a form of support, but not the primary uh, financiers, basically. Yeah, I think that's a good uh, kind of separation to make, Sandra, because Sadella Marley, I mean, we have talked to her. Go listen to an interview of her, especially ones that we've done here on Attacking Third. She is so passionate about the reggae girls and making sure that they have what they need to succeed. And uh, you can tell that she's been frustrated with the lack of communication and the, and the lack of support. Um, some other news that stood out to me, Jenny, when you were running through all of this is that Portland Thorns, they, they were sold. They have a new ownership group, $63 million to the RAJ Sports and, and the Bethal family. Um, this is setting a new precedent in the NWSL. We saw the sale of the Chicago Red Stars go to Laura Ricketts, and that was about $60 million. And now this one at $63 million is insane. These numbers are insane, guys. Like, And that is the investment that is directly needed for these clubs. Um, and when new ownership comes in, whether you look at Chicago or the Portland Thorns, there's an element of like change and and kind of not necessarily cleaning house, but there's an element of like redoing things and, and making sure that the foundation of the club is secure and, and is supportive enough for where the club wants to go in the future. So I imagine that there will be more changes that come, um, really positive ones for the clubs to move in the right direction, to be top tier clubs and, and top caliber clubs that 
can compete, that can trade with the money that they have um, to get big names in and, and to compete at the highest level. And, and Portland has been able to do that. Chicago struggled with that last year, but with these new ownerships, it, it's a turn of a page and an opportunity and a chance for them to um, kind of reestablish themselves in the NWSL. Yeah, that's a that's an absolutely great shout, Lisa. Uh, that Portland Thorns selling absolutely landmark there. Um, but the fact that this all happened after you know they were put up for sale in the late 2022, so we've been waiting for for this to happen for a while now. And, and great news, Lisa. I mean, Lisa, Sandra, will you take us through these new NWSL rules, please? Because no one's gonna know it and break it down better than you. I mean, a part of I think part of it is like maybe a little bit of a, a mixed uh, reaction. I think folks love to see big numbers when it comes to talking about the league. So I think the fact that they finally announced that the salary cap is in fact going to be 2.75 million. Uh, head coach from the Bay FC, uh, Albert Di Montoya, kind of alluded to that a little bit in uh, his interview with us after the expansion draft. So it is now officially confirmed by the league, but that's a massive bump compared to the 1.375 million in just last year so I think a lot of room for clubs to work with there but that's like the big thing right but there's also all these other new rules that got introduced that are maybe going to help we're talking using we're using trickle down a lot this episode and I guess that's part that's part of the theme in this one and that includes maybe even talking about some of these updated competition rules whether it's the the salary cap but there's also a new NWSL related party transaction policy and that kind of could be dubbed perhaps as a little bit of a Michelle King rule. I think folks are also looking, combing through some of these new rules and kind of giving it fun names like that. Allocation money is going to be phased out. And part of that of raising that salary cap is going to help phase that out, but that's not going to take place and officially until about 2026 when that's fully uh, evaporated. But I think some of the things in between that, like the, the transfer fee uh, rule that's in place now, there's a bit of a cap on that as well. 500 K. And also the U the U eighteen uh, entry mechanism I think is really important one to take a look at. So they just entered. This is like probably one of the newer mechanisms that they introduced in the league just last year. So it's already getting reevaluated and revamped and looked at moving forward. So there's a little bit of some of these rules that you could go through and take a look at and say, okay, they're they're putting some limitations maybe at some other clubs. They're trying to put in some rules and some structure to maybe make sure that. Things are a little bit more of a leveled playing field come 2026. So I think if you take a look at Angel City and that, you know, U18 mechanism, they've got not just Alyssa Thompson that they acquired sort of uh, through that, ended up going through the draft because that kind of came to birth because of all of that situation with Angel City. How is, is this player going to declare for the draft? How was Angel City going to get her? Turns out without the mechanism they needed to make sure that they had a multiple trade deal with different ways and lots of allocation money to go ahead and get her. So now that that's in place, they went out and said, we've signed her sister. So that's two players. So how are they going to make sure that players can have more than a certain amount? I believe the cap is going to be four at this point moving forward. So I think everyone, again, likes the big numbers, but I think all the things in between were of more interest for, for me when I sort of saw the release come out. It's like, okay, great, uh, a, a big cap, but what does that mean? It means maybe it's going to have an effect on, on all of these other things. So it'll be interesting to see how teams kind of um, try their best to, to stay within these rules or tiptoe along the lines of, of, of some of these new things. Beautiful, Sandra. Well, that was us recapping some news that you may have missed since you've last seen us. Next, we're going to be talking transfer news you may have missed, and there have been plenty of transfers, so stay with us here on Attacking Third.
Robert Half Research indicates 9 out of 10 hiring managers are having difficulty hiring. If you have open roles, chances are you're feeling this too. That's why you need Robert Half. Our specialized recruiting professionals engage with our proprietary AI to connect businesses of all sizes with highly skilled talent in finance and accounting, technology, marketing and creative, legal, and administrative and customer support. At Robert Half, we know talent. Visit roberthalf.com today. Let's go! It's the most all-star studded challenge ever. And this time, it's every competitor for themselves. Best challenge ever! The Challenge All-Stars. New season now streaming on Paramount+. Plus. Go to ParamountPlus.com to try it free. Terms apply. Like I mentioned, everyone, here on Attacking Third, we're going over the transfer news that you may have missed in the last couple of weeks without us. So I'm just going to run through them quickly, and we will talk about them in depth. First of all, Crystal Dunn, Tierna Davidson, Emily Sonnet, and Rose Lavelle, yeah, you heard me right, all of them, are all headed to Gotham FC. You must have heard that as you see Darian flaming her her bat signal there. Um, Christy Mewis, Katrina Gorey, and Shalina Zadorsky are all headed to West Ham. Shalina Zadorsky will be on loan. She's the only one there. Um, Jenny Hermoso headed to Tigres from Pachuca. Mac Herman winner and FSU standout. Jennifer Echugini signs with Juventus straight out of college, going to Juve. Interesting stuff there. Ifi Anumanu is headed to Utah. That's a big one. And Noel Moritz to Aston Villa. Temwa Chachingwa Chawinga to Kansas City. And Swedish international Evelina Doljan signs with the Orlando Pride. Atleti and former Spanish women's national team player Virginia Torresilla retires. And Bianca St. George is going to North Carolina Courage through 2025 with a 26 option. Lily Nabet, Megan Reed, and free agent Elizabeth Eddy all re-sign with Angel City. I tried to get all of that out correctly, guys. That was a mouthful because so much has happened since we've last spoken. Um, Lisa, why don't we start with you here on the biggest thing that caught your eye? I mean, Jenny, what kind of question is that? The biggest thing is that Gotham won the the championship in the NWSL, and they want more. They want more rings, more trophies, and they're doing that by just gathering all the gems they can in the land. That is Crystal Dunn, Tierna Davidson, Emily Sonnet, and Rose Lavelle stacking down the spine of that Gotham side. These were a lot of rumors that ultimately came true. Um, this, This Gotham roster is stacked right now. They've got Jenna Knight-Swanger. Um, <laughs> I mean, when you look at this and, and kind of their makeup of it, how are they going to play? Like how how many players can they put on the field at once? Are they going to make a new rule to have like 12 aside for Gotham, 13 aside, <laughs> just so they can get them all on the field at one time? Um, yeah, that's perhaps the biggest one. Of course, Christy Mewis did leave the midfield for Gotham as she is is going to West Ham. That was also part of the transfer news. But there are a lot of pieces at Gotham that are now fitting into this midfield that all play together at the national team level. So the chemistry is already there. The experience is there. I think the biggest thing is personality-wise. How do they all fit in every single day training together when a lot of these players are used to just seeing each other couple weeks out of the year when they're with their national team and playing together where there's a very different set of, of guidelines of how you play and how the team now they're on a roster where they're going to be in preseason for nearly two months together and then have to go through an entire first season together. Um, it's honestly a champagne problems for Gotham that, that caught my eye and I love it. <laughs> That's a great one to start with. I just, 
obviously this is all good news for the bats here, um, Darian, but I have a question about Rain. You know, oh, well, Rain losing Emily Sana and Rose Lavelle has me thinking, what is what is going on there and, and maybe the potential movements and, that they you know. may have to make during the college draft? Yeah, I think they've got to make a lot of moves, but it's Rain. They're never not stacked. I think they always have a plan in action, so I wouldn't be surprised to see them get some really big players in the draft. Um, pick up some big international players. I think um, letting go of Rose and Sonnet frees up a lot of space and money for them. Um, and also, it's a market that you want to be in and that you want to play. You want to play for Laura Harvey. So I don't think, you know, those are big losses, but I do think that they'll be able to make adjustments to make up for it. But credit to Yael West because she is killing it. This is her brainchild getting these players here. And what a turnaround from what Sky Blue was to now Ooh. Gotham. Yeah. We have to give credit where credit's due. That Bev Yanez and Nathan Goldberg Krenier have, or sorry, not Bev Yanez. <laughs> uh, Yael West and Nathan Go- Goldberg Krenier have done amazing in bringing these players here and Coach Juan Carlos Amaros. I think this is going to be a really fun, competitive team to watch next year. And it's just raising the level of the NWSL. And hopefully all these other teams follow suit and know that they have to have some really good coaches, great players on their squad to compete. All yeah, right, absolutely. I, think, I think we're sticking with Gotham. I think that's going to be the, the main, the main storyline. It's, it's hard to not take a look at what they did in four massive marquee signings and, and not stick with that a little bit. I know there's been a ton of news since we took our holiday break, but that was clearly the biggest, you know, in, in that time away. But I think in terms of like spinning it forward and, and looking ahead, I, I, I love that. I, I love the shouts that, that Darian is, is, is mentioning right now, you know, with, with the people who are responsible for kind of bringing these things to life. And, and that's what I'm looking at. Like, I, I'm so excited for this next decade of NWSL because I want to see those storylines start to come to fruition. We're starting to see, you know, former players get back into the league and get into roles and have impacts on their clubs in much different ways at an executive level or an admin level. You know, we're, we're going to take a look at that and see, you know, our other teams going to take a look at that franchise and say, you know what, like, that GM's doing really good, and so is their assistant GM. You know, it was a great shout to Nathan Goldberg Grenier because maybe other clubs are going to say, hey, would you like to not be an assistant anymore? Maybe you want to be a full-time GM. I know he's throwing his hat in the ring for, for VP and U.S. Soccer, but we'll see how that rolls out. But those are the things I'm looking at. You know, the coaching trees. Like, what are those going to look at moving forward in, in, in NWSL? There's the great stats that they've got in place. Jesus Boteo has done a lot of great work with Juan Carlos Amaros. Maybe that's a name that folks are already looking at. So with all of these really cool things, that Gotham is doing also can come a lot of maybe gatekeeping as well. Like Gotham's absolutely going to have to keep an eye on some of this talent in their franchise, not just on the pitch. They're going to have to look at it in other arenas as well. So I'm, um, uh, I love seeing that coming out of the news uh, for Gotham because I start immediately thinking like, ahead and what's it going to mean for, for the future of the team and for the future of the club. So I love that Sandra's always spinning it forward. I'm thinking backwards. I'm thinking Sky Blue was a team that you never wanted to get sent to. Like everyone knew. Like, and for this to now be, you know, basically all U.S. women's national team players saying, yeah, I want to go to New York. I want to go to Gotham. Like really that transition is, you know, to those people that Darian uh, shouted out there, but beautiful to see. Um, Sandra, I just want to pick your brain on Jenny Hermoso de Tigres a little bit because we're talking about these teams that, you know, Gotham just came off winning. Tigres just came off winning. But Jenny Hermoso, obviously at the center of controversy, she was just a World Cup winner, whatever it may be, um, came from playing in Pachuca. So she's 
used to the Mexican league, but making that jump to Tigres is a little bit different because of the players that you're there with, um, the style of play, the coaching, everything that comes into play there. I mean, what do you see her fitting in? Obviously the player that she is. Yes. But like the different dynamic of going from playing three seasons in Pachuca to now going to Tigres, different city, you know, different environment completely. When you think about Mexico as Pachuca compared to Monterrey is just completely different. Um, what you see happening there. Yeah, for sure. I, I think once again, Tigres instant contenders, right, for, for another title. I think it also says a lot about the league as a whole. Liga Mex Feminil able to retain a, a player of her caliber in, in the league. It continues to kind of smash a bit of that narrative that Liga Mex Feminil is somehow not taken as seriously as other leagues in the world. And you can look at Tigres and some of their signings and say, that's not true because look what we're doing here. I think maybe when you look at sort of the trio of signings that they kind of introduced, whether it was Jenny Hermoso, Demi Catalana, who we talked about before our, our holiday break, and, and even within the league, and in Alison Gonzalez to bring her uh, as well, uh, you know, you've got players in different phases of their careers here. Hermoso off of a World Cup and a more veteran player, Demi in her prime, Alison Gonzalez, really kind of the future, perhaps, of, of, of Mexican women's soccer. So uh, I like all of the signings. And I think it says not only a lot uh, about Tigres and their constant ambition mm-hmm. uh, to perform well in the league, but it also says a lot about Liga Mex Femenil as well. I think coming off a of World Cup, Hermoso is a player who could maybe go anywhere she'd like to go and she mm-hmm. wants to stay in Liga Mex Femenil. Okay, that's a great shout. But I just want to see Gotham against Tigres now. What do you think? Let's get it. Somebody cook it up. Cook it up. Darian, can you get that happen? I'd love to see that. <laughs> I'll, uh, I'll, I don't know how much pull I have, but I'll, uh, I'll throw it out there. <laughs> oh, Darian. <laughs> All right. If we have some time here, I know you're good friends with her. Um, but just as a, someone who has their coaching licenses, Darian, um, Ifi Anumanu heading to Utah. What do we expect from her as a player going to uh, Amy Rodriguez's squad? Oh, I love it. Uh, I think. I'd always try to put myself in that position where if, you know, you're craving minutes coming off of a year where you killed it in a World Cup with Nigeria, you're obviously thinking ahead to the Olympics, um, CONCACAF. There, there's so many things happening this next year. So you want to go somewhere where you're going to play. You're going to get minutes. You want to be with a hungry coach that is attacking dominant, which it's A-Rod. Of course, that's going to be the setup. You're going you're gonna to attack. You're in Utah. You play at Rio Tinto, which is an amazing stadium. You have a great professional setup. Um, you have all the resources you need. So I think for a veteran player like Ifi Anumanu, it's a great move, um, especially looking at where she is in her career, where she's going to go into this team and be an immediate leader. She is like a very, she just kind of has that quality about her. You guys, her and I are good friends. This is no secret, but even before we were good friends, we all played together at rain. Um, I always admired what a leader she is. And she has this like very quiet confidence that's huge to bring into a new team. So I think on A-Rod's side, it's a great move for them. It's a great move for the organization. You bring in a veteran that has a lot of experience around this league and an international player. And then for Efi personally, I think it's a great move where she's going to get minutes that maybe we didn't get to see from her when she was with Gotham, especially this last year. And it's going to set her up for success going into an Olympics with Nigeria. You mentioned that quiet confidence. I will say one thing that I remember about her um, in her Portland days is just like great posture. I know, you know, just people that have good posture, they seem confident. Can you not agree? She's got some great I'll let her know you said that. She'll love that. (laughs) (laughs) All right. We have Bev Yanez, Louisville head coach, joining us next. Stay with us here on Attacking Third.
Welcome back into Attacking Third. It is time to now welcome in Racing Louisville head coach Bev Yanez. Bev, thank you so much for being here today. We're so excited to have you on. Thank you so much for having me. I'm excited to chat with you guys. You know, it really demands respect to be able to show up and say, I've been in your shoes. I was successful doing so. And I know it's been a very short-lived thus far, but how has been um, being a head coach been so far? Yeah, it's been great. I mean, I think a lot of who I am and who I know I will be in this role is highly influenced by what I experienced as a player um, and obviously highly influenced what I experienced as an assistant coach in this league. And so I think for me, it's taking all those pieces, putting them together and what would benefit this group the most. And I'm extremely excited for the 2024 season to kick off. But let's stay with that energy because we're kind of in the full swing of the offseason right now yes and it's that time of year where fans supporters pundits we're looking at some of the headlines we're writing about the team saying what comes next or what's that next move going to be you sort of hit the ground running a little bit already now that you've been named head coach the draft is right around the corner I I would love to hear a little bit more about your your newest signing for for the team and just sort of walk me through the process of going ahead and and getting such a a UK standout in in Yuka Kurosaki. Yeah, no, absolutely. And I think for us, it was, you know, obviously, like you said, it was hitting the ground running as quick as possible. And for us in the off season, um, it's trying to build the roster as much as possible, given the way that I would like to play. Right. So implementing that style of play and who would essentially fit um, in those pieces and, and the additions that we're looking to bring on. Um, and I think someone like Yuka, she just stands out massively from a technical and a tactical perspective. Um, her thought process and her awareness and moments and understanding of space um, stood out massively. Um, and so for us bringing her in um, and having an opportunity to obviously see her in our environment day to day, obviously we have high hopes with what she can uh, you know, provide to the group. And I think for us, it's just continuing to find these spots that we would like to fill. But more importantly, it's filling the spots with not only players that we feel would excel in the style of play I'm looking to implement, um, but also would fit in the locker room. You know, a a lot of people don't touch that side as well. It's got to be, will this be a great fit for us? But what is she like in the locker room? Um, And so it's building these relationships with um, who we're looking to bring in and how we can get that information as quickly as possible. And obviously, again, like I said, uh, early on implementing this style and and finding the players that I know would would suit the style um, is very important. Bev, of course, giving the best tactical, technical answer like we've ever had. I love it. Um, And for those who don't know, Bev and I played together at Rain and before Mm -hmm. she got her U.S. soccer coaching licenses and is the amazing coach she is, she was coaching me even as we were teammates. So, Bev, (laughs) I want to know who kind of gave you your blueprint and inspiration to go into this coaching sphere because we're seeing more player former players now become head coaches in the league and get their licenses and try to you know have influence in that way so I want to know how what led you to this point yeah no I think for me it's I've known since about 23 24 that I actually wanted to be a coach um how that played out and how my passion led from on the field as a player to now on the field as a coach. Um, I wasn't aware of the timing of when that transition would occur. Uh, But for me, it was at 23, 24 when I actually went over to Japan when the WPS folded at the time. Um, And I spent two and a half seasons there learning a very technical and tactical side of the game. 
Um, I didn't speak obviously a lick of Japanese. Um, and, and so it was any exercise that we did, I was putting myself two, three players back to understand, okay, it's one touch there. It's two touch there. We moved left. Then we go right. I'm like, okay, I think I got this one, you know? Um, and for me, once I experienced that, I kept thinking to myself and I said, I will never forget this moment. How many people out there are like me? that feel that they are so far behind technically and tactically. And here I am, 23, 24 years old, two years of WPS at the time. Uh, I competed in the ACC conference as a college athlete. And how do I feel so strongly about this? Why do I feel like there's such a lack in my game in these two aspects? And here I am learning from 16, 17-year-olds. Here I'm learning from national team, Japanese national team players that are the, the some of the best of all time, right? But it, my point is, is that I started to learn in areas of my game that I – was confused as to why I was just now learning it. And so I made a promise to myself at that point, my, I have such a passion for educating. And at some point my career is going to end. I want to educate because I bet there's a thousand, if not more of me's out there feeling this exact same way. And so that's where it first started. And I started getting my coaching licenses and playing at the same time, which um, obviously helped me become a better player because everything I was coaching the, the kids on um, at the time was, you know, check your shoulders, body shape. Can you have open mind? I'm like, well, I need to be better at all these things too. Um, but my point is, is that I knew it, deep down inside that I, I, I was going to become a coach. I just didn't know when that transition would officially occur. And, and obviously later in my career, I felt such a big pull and tug towards it. Um, and for me, it's, it, it's, I, I think it's, it's something to be said about educating we talk about coach, we talk about coach, we talk about manager, we talk about, we're educators. We have a duty to teach the game. We have a duty to experience scenarios and teach scenarios for these players to understand. No scenario is ever going to be the same, but they're going to get enough tools to understand. Oh, last time I was in this exact position in some capacity, I didn't check my shoulder. Now I'm going to check my shoulder. Oh, yep, there's my outlet. Putting them in the scenarios enough to understand what the what the game looks like and how to execute in those scenarios. And so for me coming into this role, I'm going to be an educator and I've brought on staff that I believe is going to educate and is going to create an environment because I'm big on this as well. No coach makes a player. You don't make a player. Mm -hmm. You create an environment for a player to thrive in and become someone they didn't even know they could become or knew they could become, but haven't gotten there yet. And so for me, the education piece, I can't talk about enough. I'm an educator and I am looking so forward to teaching not only my style of play and the simplicity I'd like to bring with it to allow these players to be creative in it, but also the education piece of how do we make you a better player? Because I'm telling you right now, you ask a first year draft pick and you ask an NWSL veteran, a national team veteran, they'll tell you the same thing. We want to get better. So you have to create an environment for players to thrive in and feel like they're developing. And so for me, I'd like to hit the ground running in that sense. Sorry for wow. that. I am worked up. I want to play for you right now. I want to sit in a, a locker room with you with a whiteboard and have you do X's and O's and teach me things. So I, it's very cool to hear you be so passionate about something that you now get to do in your life. I, I feel like so often people just try out different jobs and see what sticks and see what works, what they're good at and what they ultimately like. And you clearly have had this passion for this, for teaching, as you say, but we've never seen a full team under Bev Yanez and, and what these players could potentially learn. So what do you want to teach them specifically this year as your first year as an NWSL head coach? 
Yeah. And I think for me, it's just continuing to implement, obviously, areas individually, we can help them push, but it's obviously in, uh, implementing my style of play and how they best do, suit that style of play and what those adjustments are um, to their game. Because I believe, uh, and again, investment in the relationships with the players too, right? Because I, lo- I believe a lot of who we, who players are off the pitch and who we are as human beings off the pitch transcends to who we are on. So how to build those relationships with the players to understand, okay, this player maybe likes a little bit more film. This player likes a little bit more on the field. You know, grab them by the shoulders and say, move a little bit left here. You see that view now? Yeah, okay, perfect. Yeah, they, they want that visual piece over sitting down and going over film. Sometimes they need the combination of it. Sometimes they need a tactical board. And so it's building those relationships for me early on to understand what those needs are and bringing on a staff that I know will invest in building those relationships early on and have the communication with me so that I can understand what those needs are. And I think it's just implementing that style early. Um, And and if there's one thing that I've learned throughout my time, and I'm going to continue to learn, I'd be ignorant to tell you here that I know everything. I don't know everything, but I believe that's what made me who I was as a player is because I was always willing to learn more. And I know coming into this role, if I can bring that same aspect, obviously in a leadership role, if I can bring that same aspect, I know that I'm going to build uh, as much as I possibly can around me to provide the best environment that I can for this group. Um, and it's holding them to standards and it's supporting them within that, right? It's that give and, and, and take and that push and that pull of this is what I need from you. And I'm going to be clear, this is what I need from you, but I'm going to help support you to get there. And so I think for me, it's just creating that whole piece of getting the players buy-in, obviously early on, and continuing to make sure that they're bought into the process and that they feel valued both on and off the pitch. Because I'm telling you right now, people want to stay when they know they are valued in both aspects. Bev, this is wonderful. I feel like so inspired. I know it's the new year, but but really just hearing everything that you've had to say and, and your passion for the game just kind of transpires through in every way that you speak. And it's very obvious that you care about this. Um, but the different places that you've played, so say um, Australia, Finland, Japan, you mentioned learning the different, I guess, tactics or the different ways in which every country you know, has a different, I don't know, way of being and bringing them. Yeah. Do you think that... Um, you have a set way because you don't really often get to speak to people going, jumping from assistant coach to head coach, right? And mm-hmm. under an assistant coach or as an assistant coach, you're playing different people's styles. And I'm sure that you can take bits and pieces from everywhere that you've been, but do you already have in your head, this is exactly how I'm going? Or does it depend upon the players that you have, um, I guess, once the college draft is over? Yeah, no, I mean, it's a fantastic question. And it's a question I asked myself early on to better understand um, kind of the way that the coaching world works. And I think there's a mix. There's a mix between the way that you like to play. And there's also a mix with understanding who you have and what types of players you feel those strengths will ultimately uh, show on the pitch, right? Um, And I think it's such a fine balance. You're understanding this is the way that I want to play. But for me, it's, it's having structure, but it's having not too much structure where you're allowing the players and their creativity and their strength to flourish in that structure. So for me, I think it's a fine balance of understanding who you have and where you'd like the club to become and where you'd like the group to become and what your expectations are from a structure standpoint, but it's also allowing them to grow with the nuances of the game and the understanding of the game for themselves and what their uniqueness is that they bring to the environment as well. And so I think there's a fine line of, this is what I'd like you to do. Um, and, and Obviously, you know, something I'll say kind of early on is, is I'll try not to ever say never, but I'll never say always. Now, my point with that being is that you're, you cannot never do this because that's not the game. 
the game's incredibly gray, but I'm going to coach the crap out of gray, right? And you can say that you always do this. I can't say you always do this and you'll always get out. So I want to teach when you would do something and when you wouldn't do something so that I'm helping them develop of understanding pressure's a little bit tight here. I can actually cut back in because she's followed me in this movement, right? So I want to teach those pieces over being so caught up in, right? I want you to do this every single time. Now, there's going to be things where I want you to understand how to press, blah, blah, blah. But I can't give all that stuff away to you guys. <laughs> <laughs> do you sleep or do, are your thoughts just like constantly no. racing about this? Yeah. <laughs> no, I don't. Well, I don't sleep for several reasons. I don't sleep because I have a six-week-old. And then I don't sleep on uh, on top of that because I'm always thinking. So <laughs> I have the double whammy. <laughs> I love that we're all getting to hear the genius that is Bev Yenes. Like this, she has been this way since I've known her in the kindest, most gentle way possible. That's so digestible. And Bev, I love that you look at your players as such holistic beings of, I'm not going to give you the formula that's going to work every single time, but I'm going to help you be a really good decision maker so that you can use your craft to then develop your game and then support the team. So on that note, when you're looking at this draft, you're on the other side of it. You're making the big time decisions. How are you approaching this? What What are your thoughts yeah. going into this draft? Yeah, no. And I think it's been really good. We've had weekly meetings, which has been great. Um, and I must give a massive shout out to Sergio Gonzalez. He's been leading this draft um, since last year. Um, seems crazy to say last year, right? We're in 2024 now. Um, wild. But he's been leading this draft for a very long time, organizing it very early for us to be able to continue to watch players, um, watching them in groups, putting notes in in, in our, um, you know, are the way we have it organized. I think for us, it's continuing to find out, okay, where are we at and what are our roster needs? And with the ability to meet weekly like we have, um, obviously took a quick break for Christmas and New Year's, but um, we've been meeting every single week. And so I think it allows us to understand, okay, this is the direction that we need. This is probably the player that we're going to look for in this specific unit. Um, and in this specific line. Um, and so what do that what does that player pool look like now? What do we understand from them from a personality perspective? Right. Um, what context do we have from there? And so I think for us, it's just finding again, you use the word holistic and that's exactly it. Right. Finding um, particular players that would be on our radars for holistic reasons. Right. In the sense of what we know we need to fill on the roster, but also what we know they could bring to our locker room and to the pitch and to our environment. And so I think for us, it's just going to be a, a quickly narrowing it down as we already have, but narrowing it down specifically to what our positional needs um, will be, which we have an idea, of course, of. Bev, uh, Darian's right. The fact that you're viewing everyone in a holistic sense and all these decisions holistically is so beautiful to hear. And every single interview that I read about you, your players speaking about you, everything, they all mm -hmm. talked about how tactically sound you were. And I now mm -hmm. get it. I get it, guys. After this interview, can you just not tell? She can describe everything perfectly. She makes all the details. Bev, it was an honor to have you on. Thank you so much and best of luck. Thank you guys so much for having me. I really appreciate it. So thank you. Thank you, guys. All right, so much more here on Attacking Third. Stay with us. Welcome back into Attacking Third. The 2024 NWSL Draft presented by Ally begins at 5 p.m. Pacific Time, 8 p.m. Eastern Time on Friday, January 12th, and will be televised live on ION and ION+. And at 10 p.m., we're going to be live on Golasso Network chatting about the draft, so make sure you join us on Friday. 
Uh, we're going to get a quick preview here. Everyone's takes on who the big players are, but I'm just going to go first so that I can get out of the way and the experts can talk their talk. Their talk. Um, for me, I'm just going to really quickly name off three Tar Heels. Savvy King freshman declaring for the draft after her freshman year is amazing. I see her becoming a full national team player in absolutely no time. She's a defender who is just such a talent. I really feel like a generational talent. We're going to see that very quickly. Ali Setner, I mean – no words. Samantha Mesa. I think she's a really exciting player. She's from Texas. Uh, great playing style. She's played in so many different positions for UNC. And when you watch UNC, she's the player that kind of like gravitate your eyes to. Uh, for me, she played for the youth national team. And I'm hearing that Mexico has interest for her in the 2024 Olympics. So the U.S. better jump up quickly. Um, and that's really all I have so I can let you guys go. Lisa, get us going. Jenny, I love I love your shouts. I mean, really good good shouts that you put out there. I, especially, I think Sam Meza is an incredible player. Um, you did touch on Savvy King. It's such a young player and person who just finished her freshman year at UNC. Now declaring for the draft, like that's the beauty of the new. Uh, rules that the NWSL put out with uh, rosters being able to have more under 18 players. It just, it fosters an environment for younger players to leave college early because there are multiple avenues in order to be a professional, to make it to the World Cup, to make it to the Olympics, which is the dreams and goals of these players to ultimately do that. And it's been done before. And now more and more players see that it is an actual path and it, the road to that path is getting paved a lot smoother. So Savvy King joining, at finally registering um, is really exciting. There are uh, registration closes tonight at midnight. So Monday night at midnight, there are still some players out there that might register themselves, but everyone's eyes are on midfielder Croy Bethune um, out of Georgia. She spent her first three years at uh, USC She's had a lot of injuries and she's been through a lot of adversity. And now after her final year at Georgia, um, it, she was two-time All-Pac-12 player. She was a Matt Herman semifinalist this year. And she is magic on the ball as a midfielder. When you watch Croy Bethune, she's just got a confidence about her to dribble between the lines. She's an incredibly technical player to keep the ball at her feet, to be able to dish it off. It, she is a generational talent hands down. And you see that when you watch her, which is why I think she's going to go very high and very early because so often NWSL teams are looking at specific players to fit into their system or to fill holes that they have. And Croy Bethune is a player that uh, you'll fit her in. If you can take her, you're going to fit her in wherever, wherever you can take her. Um, so that's, that's my top player to watch right now for sure in the NWSL draft. Yeah, 100%. I Look, I feel like I've been deep in these NWSL draft streets. We've got a mock draft already up on CBS Sports. I've got my my top five prospects already up on .com as well. And unshockingly, it's those a number of those players are already on my my top draft draft pick uh, piece. I'm with you 100%, Lisa, on Corey Bethune. I really do think that she is going to be one of those type of players. I, I know now it's the, the the cool trendy thing as analysts to, to refer to like players as like generational, but you don't really we don't really know until we actually see it, you know, in in front of us. So I, I think we heard that about Naomi Gurma coming into the draft, and I think she's lived up to that hype and that billing since then, you know, is that going to be the same for, for someone in, in a Corey Bethune? I, I think so. I really, really do. I, I think she is such a creative 
player. I think with combined with what she did at USC and one singular year in Georgia, I think is massive. I think there's something to be said about a player that kind of goes in to a, a new school and kind of has that one singular year and kind of has such a breakout, almost like a bit of like caring and elevating uh, a program, right. To kind of, to, to sort of this prominence. And we see that in, in this type of player. And I think we want to see more of that in, in the league. We want to see those very creative uh ball handlers you know the ones with the quick decision to kind of be those collaborators we want to see more of it so I wouldn't be shocked if she went number one but we're not going to really I think know until that deadline comes like who is actually going to declare for the draft who's going to make themselves uh, available and I think that might shake up the draft boards for sure because I'm sure all these teams have a mock of their own in their draft rooms, but come that deadline, once they know who's actually available, we might see some, you know, some, some things shift, some moves being made, some some phone calls being taken. I I can't wait. Yeah. It's going to be chaos on brand (laughs) NWSL chaos. I can't wait for it. I'm, I'm happy we're covering it. Um, A player actually that I think is going a bit under the radar because there are younger players are kind of getting a lot more of the spotlight, a lot more of the, the attention going into this, but someone I think that I'm actually shocked hasn't declared for the draft earlier is Raylan Turner from UCLA. I know you guys are going to say it's because I'm a former Bruin. That's not it. <laughs> I've actually been a fan of watching her play for a really long time. Um, she leaves 2023 with UCLA, 10 goals, six assists, um, attacking player of the year. I think she's going to fit into the NWSL so well. And I hope she goes to either Louisville or to the Courage, because I think those are two coaches in Bevianes or Sean Nehas who can develop a player like her who has all of these crazy attacking elements moving forward. But to make her this 360 degree player where she can slot into the midfield because she's so technical and such a threat going forward and such a good dribbler. I would love for her to go develop under one of those coaches in an environment like that, where it's highly competitive. Um, You're going to really have to push for minutes. The coaches are going to challenge you to get better and improve technical, tactical parts of your game. And I think she has so much potential. And I think she's actually one of the players that are going to be on the swims national team too. So that's who I'm really looking forward to watching and seeing who picks her up. I think they're going to be a really lucky team and she's going to do really, really big things in the NWSL. I love that. Everyone, everyone with such great shouts, such confidence in the players that they've seen and that they really enjoy watching. Um, Beautiful episode, guys. It's so good to be back with you guys, listeners as well. We're so happy to be back. Um, I do want to add that we are finalists in the best diverse voice podcast category in the sports awards, sports podcast awards. Voting for the award is open. So help us bring some hardware home by following the link in the episode description of the podcast or scan the QR code on your screen right now. Um, Ladies, that is all for today. Thank you guys. I love being back with y'all and please go vote for us.